welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. This is the first part of the CES 2021 analysis podcast. Since uh, the knowledge is so thick, uh, I decided to make two episodes out of this. So this week, episode one, next week, the next episode. At the beginning, an intimate confession. I love Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. I love this totally virtual, this artificial worlds that they create there. Everything is so unreal, but totally real. It's exaggerated, it's vital, it's a totally different kind of lifestyle. And it very much differs in many aspects from, from the lifestyles and the way of life in, in the rest of North America. Las Vegas is uh, full of third places, as uh, Christian Mikuna defines them in his marketing book. And uh, there's a, there are places where you are, where you be, and where you're in public, and there are, that are neither your home nor your office. They're third place. And uh, Las Vegas is full of these third places. There's glitter everywhere. There's glamour everywhere. There's music. And by the way... If you want to travel from New York to Paris to Asian Rome and then to Venice at Las Vegas, this is just a 90 minutes walk. You start the south of the Strip and walk up all the way to the north and then you can see all these places and, and can see all this. Since I started my own business in 2015, since the CES 2016, I have been there Every year, every January, it is a great opportunity for me to start the year, to meet people, to talk to people, to refocus my business, to get latest trends. And so, yeah, I've been there everywhere. And um, of course, I would have been at, at Las Vegas this year as well. But um, the CTA, the organizer of the CTS, decided in uh, late summer to run a purely digital, purely virtual event, everything on the internet. And um, I experienced that as extremely dry, pretty boring, and um, yeah, it, it comparably negative user experience I had. And for me, I mean, I had known this before, but um, I, I learned it again humans are multimodal beings we are real analog beings we need real analog world around us to to communicate and to feel good 
So there were no face-to-face -face meetings, no no coincidences, no not, not meeting someone on, on a hallway somewhere I had not seen for a year or two or three and having a quick chat. And there is no real interaction. And um, so for me, it was okay to have this digital experience was better than nothing, but uh, not not the real thing. What I did is I attended um, the digital keynotes that uh, related around cars, that related around HMIs, human-machine interface technologies, about artificial intelligence. And uh, I attended a couple of digital booths of the uh, bigger, bigger exhibitors. The keynotes um, often were advertising videos high glossy glancy uh, produced very well produced videos um, pre-produced um, but sometimes also very good um, lectures keynotes and and uh, lively discussions um, that were held the digital booths um, were sometimes pretty well done a um, lot of information, um, sometimes uh, downloads that you could use. Uh, could also arrange meetings there with booth staff. But sometimes they were also completely empty. There was nothing. And um, from uh, one of the American, Italian-American car makers, uh, I just received the message that I'm using the wrong browser. I should use a different browser and then I would have been allowed to attend the booth. I mean, that's definitely not the kind of user experience that we want to have in, in this context. Anyway, um, I condensed all the information I collected there, put it here into this uh, podcast, and uh, I will talk about uh, four different aspects. One is mobility in general, but also, of course, with a very strong, strong focus on the, on the automotive industry. The second one is future experiences in the car. One of the companies I worked for a many, many years, um, they have their booth um, in, in, in the analog, in the real CES uh, uh, events, not on the exhibition grounds, but in a separate hotel. A few minutes away and um, also they had a separate keynote uh, presentation of 45 minutes uh, a few days before all the others had this um, but I integrate this in, in into this podcast and um, they talked a lot about future future user experiences so core of uh, this part will be that uh, first tier supplier then I will talk a bit about automotive HMIs and I will talk about artificial intelligence. There were a few events uh, circling around that one. And uh, the very last one I saw was a discussion between a professor from Israel and a uh, writer, a journalist from the New York Times. And they uh, discussed about uh, artificial intelligence and they had some super interesting views uh, on this one, on, on the status and uh, on, on, on the future. 
One fascinating thought I took away from uh, all the keynotes, um, the idea behind flying to the moon was not to bring a few stones, a few rocks back to Earth, but to see our Earth from space, to see the globe in space, and to then rearrange, refocus, Uh, to see ourselves in a different way. And um, I found this a very fascinating thought. And uh, yeah, that one carried me through through most of, of uh, the CES. Okay, first part, mobility. The pre-corona trends will persist. Um, some of them will accelerate. Some of them will slow down. But... Uh, The CASE mantra, CASE um, stands for Connected, Automated, Shared and Electric. So this mantra will remain, this will stay and um, this uh, will shape the future of, of the automotive industry. One interesting side fact is um, only 20% of workers will with office jobs office workers will return to the offices fully after Corona, which means 80% of the people working in offices will remain in home office fully or at least partially. And um, this will heavily influence uh, mobility. This will influence our urban areas or inner city areas, our office areas, so that uh, will have a serious impact on, on the future. All right, let's run through the case uh, connected, autonomous, uh, shared and, and electric mantra. The C, the connected mobility. The growing communication between vehicles and infrastructure will allow completely new use cases and services. We do not yet have a clear idea of what exactly these services will be, what these use cases will be, but the exchange of data between vehicles and the infrastructure, the road furniture, all the traffic lights, um, the traffic signs, other traffic participants, um, curbs, um, everything will be somehow communicating in a way. And um, since this data communication will be centralized and, and uh, run through service and probably there will also be artificial intelligence added to that, and that will allow new use cases and new services um, that we cannot yet really, really foresee. The technical possibilities, the status of the technology and also the technological challenges for connected cars, they are visible. Um, a lot of that is already solved. Um, any, every, every, every new car that is coming to the market that is sold today is somehow connected. And if it is only a, a Bluetooth connection to the head unit and then the head unit sends data to uh, or allows connectivity, uh, internet, um, uh, hands-free phone calls, 
So all that is that's possible. So the technological background is is uh, more or less clear. Uh, the use cases are are not fully defined, not fully visible, and um, my belief is that uh, very smart people from uh, the automotive world, from the computing networking world, from the app and the smartphone world, they will find uh, new use cases, and uh, users will grow with that, and then users will uh, formulate, will express their own use cases and their own needs. Um, so that uh, we will see many, many new applications uh, with connected cars. Connected mobility will allow new types of activities in urban areas. Uh, cities will be different. Um, cities will change uh, with connected mobility. And um, we will get more space. We will use space in a different way. But we will also travel differently in, in urban areas and um, we will focus on different on new aspects of mobility uh, with, with connected cars. One example, 20% of all traffic jams come from, from uh, vehicles whose drivers are looking for a parking space. So... I mean, 20% of all traffic that really annoys us is coming from people that just don't know where to drop their car, that drive down the road and try to get rid of it. And this can be reduced for with, with connected cars. So if I have a fully connected city, if I know where an open parking space is, then um, I can make a reservation, I can be guided there, then it is open there, I just drive there straight, drop the car and leave it, and far easier, less traffic, less traffic jams. In the future, cars will not only be nodes in the digital network, in the Internet of Things, I mean, they are parts of this, and they're rolling computers. They're rolling notes of of the of the Internet, rolling notes of the Internet. But uh, cars will also be part of social networks. They will be nodes in in any kind of social, either digital or personal network. So, for example, with um, shared vehicles um, that we can call and uh, we may meet new people in, in this car and, and we may like it or not, but it's a social interaction that we will have in, in this. Um, we will have uh, social networks. Uh, we will have communication over the social networks from connected cars and with connected cars and through connected cars. So... Um, they will be digital network nodes, but also social network nodes. Second, autonomous driving. The development and innovation focus of the moment in automated driving, autonomous driving is on urban transport. It's on inner city transport. Um, this, uh, I mean, there's a lot of activities on highways as well. Um, but since the, the traffic situation on highways is clearly less complex than in urban areas, um, we can see 
good ADAS uh, advanced driver assistance systems um, there on the road already and um, that will improve they will improve that will grow um, but the the focus so the innovation focus the development focus uh, at the moment is in, in urban transport and uh, people target for autonomous driving in cities for for at least um, higher levels of automation in in cities One of the big construction machinery companies had a very interesting keynote um, on autonomous driving. They are producing many of the vehicles you can see in mines, in open mines. For example, these uh, huge trucks uh, that, they, I don't know, they are... Uh, I don't know how big. They're huge. They're huge trucks, bigger than any truck you can see on a road, these mining trucks. And um, they are driving fully autonomous. There is no driver on board anymore. Um, then there are other the vehicles there that are partially automated. And then there are fully manual vehicles also on these grounds, in these mines. And... Um, They solve many of the issues for this environment there that uh, we are discussing now for urban traffic, for car, for automotive, for, for, for any kind of car travel that we have. And uh, that, that is reality there. So they have these fully autonomous cars there, these trucks. Um, they allow the remote control of vehicles. So they are... Workers that do not sit in the vehicle, but in an office space where you have clean air and no noise and no vibrations. And we have a very nice, very good uh, office style kind of environment. And um, they then steer um, these vehicles over remote controls. They have a full cockpit and have a regular car seat there. And then they have um, these, these, uh, the, the opportunity to, to make uh, remote controls of these vehicles. And um, then they have uh, the manual vehicles. There are a couple of cars driving on these grounds with people in it, with a human driver. And uh, what they do is in these mines is um, they have a fully coordinated control over the entire fleet. Every car is sending data. It is coordinated in a coordination room. And they're giving advice to the vehicles. They're controlling everything there. They have a data exchange between the vehicles. So they have a direct vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle data exchange. So if they have this, this mixed traffic and one of these autonomous trucks realizes, okay, there is a car with a human driver. There's a manned Uh, vehicle um, then I will keep a larger distance and um, yeah to unmanned vehicles they have a smaller distance so everything is fully coordinated in this um, fenced uh, environment that they have in these mines but uh, to me it seems like uh, many of the problems we're discussing are already solved in, in, in that environment and uh, I find this uh, super super interesting What else on automated driving? Um, we see a growing coordination between vehicles and infrastructure. I see this as essential 
um, to get a smooth uh, automated uh, and uh, even more autonomous driving. So if you have an unmanned car, if there is no one in there, driverless car, then you will need a strong coordination between vehicle and infrastructure, a, a strong data exchange. In the earlier times of autonomous driving, a few people believed that you can uh, do this uh, without um, communication infrastructure. Uh, theoretically, that is possible, but uh, reality shows that we need um, the coordination between vehicle and infrastructure. And uh, for automated driving, we will see increased data processing within the vehicle, which means that we will have more computing power, more data exchange, more CAN buses, uh, more bus systems in the car that uh, will uh, allow the entire steering, the entire uh, driving, the safe driving procedures of um, automated cars. Specific applications such as automated parking um, are established. They are there. You can use this. And um, these have basically two targets. One is uh, the convenience for the customer. That is the positive user experience that we create. And the other one is a better use of the infrastructure. So if you have an automated parking, the parking lots may be smaller. I can crunch more cars into it um, because cars are better in parking themselves as, than we humans are. So um, these are the big two points um, that you get out of certain applications in automated driving. The HMI, the human-machine interface, the communication between driver and car, between human and machine, will gain importance consistently uh, over time because uh, we have to control the autonomous driving functions, the automation of the car, and we have to design the division of tasks between humans and vehicles. So if you have a shared task, um, then you need to communicate to the driver who is doing what, what is the car doing, what is the driver doing. And uh, we need to have a clear HMI design to uh, get a clear and and uh, undoubtful and um, trustful communication between the car and and uh, the, the driver. So the HMI will gain importance uh, in in uh, automated driving scenarios. We have. Uh, Shared mobility, third point in the first part here in the mobility part. Shared mobility will lead to more space in cities. If you have a look uh, outside your window, um, you will see that there are parked cars. I mean, wherever you are, there's parking spaces. And... Uh, a regular normal car, a privately owned car, is driving just 5% of its lifetime, meaning 
95% of its lifetime, it's just standing somewhere. It is eating up space and doing nothing. And uh, this is one of the big change makers in shared mobility. Uh, we will not need the, all these parking lots and all these parking houses, all these infrastructures that we have created to just drop a car and leave it there. Uh, once these cars are shared, when, when they drive more. And uh, this will change the infrastructure of uh, urban areas, of, of cities, of inner city areas drastically. We can use all this space for something else, for humans, for other means of mobility, for living, for being, for enjoying. So that, that will be a big game changer. On the other hand, shared mobility will create more traffic. If I share a car, it will probably not be right in front of my house door, um, but uh, I need to call it. And so it uh, may drive a detour um, to pick me up or to drop me somewhere. And so they will drive longer distances and then we will create more traffic with these uh, shared cars which again will uh, influence our, our urban areas and uh, we will need to find uh, solutions for that. Another point on shared mobility, um, the corona pandemic has changed the awareness of humans, the attitude of users uh, when it is about sharing objects. So we all learned a lot in the past year about hygienic measures, about how viruses and bacteria spread. And so hygiene has become a central point, a focus point uh, in, in car sharing. So how can I ensure that a car is not contagious, contagious that it is safe to be in there uh, when I enter a shared car? And um, from my point of view, these thoughts, this change in awareness on these hygiene and on how bacteria and viruses spread, that will remain and that will be one of the changes we will see based on the, on the pandemic. And this will influence the uh, development of shared mobility. What we can do is we can think about uh, new cleaning options on opportunities on ways of uh, cleaning a car in between two uses or when new users come in. Um, this may be ultraviolet light. Um, this may be other cleaning mechanism, physical or chemical ones um, that we can use. Um, I know that in the pipelines of uh, the material producers, new fabrics and new surfaces are under development that are more hygienic and uh, that provide a higher level of cleanness than today's fabrics and, and, and surfaces. Another point is um, filtering the air in shared vehicles. Um, to, to have cleaner air and to get the viruses out there. It is uh, contactless mobility. So, um, I mean, mobility itself, the, the car driving in a capsule, in a vehicle, 
uh, will never be contactless because I have to sit somewhere and I need to hold on maybe. And um, so there will be um, things where I have contact with with a shared vehicle. But um, booking them, um, interacting with the vehicles, um, getting getting entrance to the vehicles, um, that uh, may be organized contactless. Either, for example, through my smartphone that I do bookings, reservations um, through my smartphone, um, that I enter with a virus detection, uh, I, not virus, <laughs> with an iris uh, detection. So I just need to look at a camera and it detects me and uh, the doors open. Um, maybe I can use gesture recognition um, to have a contact input of my destination or voice is also contactless. So there are many technologies out there that will allow a reduction of contacts between user and, and shared car. The future of mobility must be seamless. Uh, the switch between modes, um, the different use cases I have from selection to booking to reservation to entering, payment, leaving, all that must be a seamless, simple, and trustworthy procedure to get it going. Last point in the case mantra is electric, the electric mobility. First of all, there are two points, two core points um, that create uh, the Biggest problem of electromobility that I see that's uh, range anxiety, range anxiety, um, that create uncertainty about the range. One is the duration of the charging process. So we are all aware that, um, at least as of today, uh, if I want to load 300 miles into a car, um, with a gasoline or diesel engine, um, that takes me five minutes. The same procedure, putting 300 miles into a car for an electric vehicle, um, takes maybe up to an hour, two, three hour, depending on, on the charging uh, means that I have. So it's uh, the, the duration of, of the charging is, is one big point. And the other one is the availability of charging options. So we have many, many gas stations out there and they all have um, different uh, fuel pumps. Um, so it is pretty easy to just drive there, spend the five minutes to, to fill up the car and go. Um, that is different, uh, at least as of today, uh, for charging points uh, for electric vehicles. The number is lower. The cars are standing there for a longer time. And... Um, I mean, I'm seriously thinking about getting an electric car as my, my next vehicle. Uh, the biggest problem I see is that I cannot charge it. Um, I mean, I have a parking place in the backyard of my house, but uh, it will be extremely difficult up to impossible to mount a wall box there. And um, I do not have an alternative. There are no public charging points here and... Um, so the availability of charging points, of charging options is definitely uh, 
hindering the spread of, of electric mobility. Another point that was discussed uh, is um, what do we do with the driver during the charging process? And if it's only 20 minutes, I mean, it's 20 minutes. And um, that will end up with uh, shopping and uh, food. I mean, people can go, can shop while they, their car is charged, or they can, can get a coffee, they can get something to eat. Uh, I think that will be um, the, the prominent, uh, those two will be the prominent uh, activities people will have when they, when they, when they wait while their car, electric car is charged. We need to think about uh, business models and pricing. Um, they are the next big topic, topics in uh, electromobility. Business model by means of um, how can I charge, where can I charge, um, how can I pay. Um, in Europe, uh, it is a disaster if you go cross-border, for example, travel from Germany to the Netherlands or to France. It's very difficult to charge um, your, your electric vehicle because you have to have uh, an account, you have to have a card or an app or whatever um, you need to register before you're allowed to charge somewhere. And uh, I mean, this is ridiculous um, and, and uh, we need to solve this one. Of course, the uh, electricity providers, um, they see a big business in, in pulling the people into their uh, part of business, into their business models and getting paid for that. Um, but this does not at all help in, in uh, making electric mobility uh, more convenient. Other point is pricing. We will see different pricing models um, as we see it in, in the smartphone areas. And there are a few pricing models, either like prepaid or flat rate, whatever. All that uh, will come in the future so that um, we will have different models to choose from when we charge our electric cars. The battery, um, the uh, yeah, the electric battery in in a car, um, is a very sensitive uh, piece of technology. It needs uh, a lot of maintenance. Um, it needs. Uh, we need to take care of the batteries. They need to be cooled. Um, to 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 get a longer lifetime, you have to use it in a certain way, not overcharge it, not undercharge it. You have to charge it in a regular way. You have to charge it in a, in a certain rhythm, and um, that will be uh, performed by so-called battery cloud services, probably backed up by artificial intelligence. These battery cloud services will uh, arrange the entire, entire charging procedure, the charging schedules that will be connected with your personal schedule, with your plans, with your travel plans. And then you get an optimized battery life uh, based on these battery cloud services that we see. We will see in the future um, mobility on demand. Uh, I mean, there are few models visible already out there. They will grow, they will expand, um, they will um, get more variations, they will be more personalized. So you can buy mobility for certain periods of time. 
Today we do a car leasing maybe for three years, which is the regular established model, but you can, can see models at the moment where it's just three months or can even go down to minutes or hours or days of mobility that you buy when you have a certain need for it, when you have a demand. And then uh, you can you can uh, buy exactly the kind of mobility that is most helpful for you in that context. There are three uh, topics that will influence future mobility. Um, the presenter talked about buckets. Um, there are three buckets um, of problems, of issues that we need to solve uh, in, in future mobility. One is uh, the legislation. Um, where do certain rules apply? How do they apply? I mean, we have the different legislation within states, within countries. And um, one, one example, you can use the in-vehicle cameras and the external cameras for uh, surveillance of your car. Uh, I mean, uh, you park your car somewhere, you can um, uh, then walk away and then you have a look at your smartphone and you can ex get access to these cameras and you can find around who is around the car, who is inside the car, is the car still where it is supposed to be. So all this is possible. But uh, at least in Germany, from a legal point of view, scenarios like this ones, due to privacy, are extremely hard to, to realize. So, um, yeah, we need to have a look at legislation because that will shape um, future mobility and the experiences we have with this. The second one is, uh, in general, the issue of connectivity. Um, the first one is who pays for it? Um, who's paying the connectivity cost that we have? Um, probably at the end, it will be the user, one way or the other. The other bigger issue connected with connectivity is to whom does the data belong? Who owns the data? Is it the driver? I mean, it's my data. I'm producing this. It's my behavior. It's my travels. It's my driving. So, yeah, it should be my data. It can also be um, the first-year supplier that co uh, collects it in the car, that aggregates it in the car, that sends it out to, to external instances. It can be the data uh, provider, the, the company that transfers the data, that organizes that one. It uh, may be the data center, it may be the OEM, the car maker, um, because it's his car that is driving there on the road. Um, is it is it uh, the data of the OEM? Um, or is it um, the data, I mean, if I have a shared vehicle service, is it the data of, of uh, the uh, service provider of the company that runs uh, the mobility service? So that, that is totally unclear. It is clear that this data is extremely valuable, that uh, we can use it uh, to create new services, to personalize services, to predict behavior, to steer entire fleets. So all this is uh, important if uh, we, we talk about uh, the data that we have and, and the ownership of data. 
And the third point, the third bucket um, that will influence future mobility is the growing technical and organizational complexity that we have. No single business, no single company is capable today, and not to talk about the future, to handle the entire ecosystem of um, cars, of data, of traffic infrastructure, of services, of payments, of whatever. So no single company is uh, any longer able to plan, develop, implement, maintain, offer uh, all these different services. So already today we have comparably complex complex ecosystems of, of uh, companies and organizations um, steering the system that will grow in the future both from a technical but uh, from my point of view first of all from an organizational point of view and um, that will that will be quite some hiccups until until uh, we have the entire system running this is the end of the first part of this ES 2021 podcast The next episode will cover the second part of this podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an unknown exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de Tune in next time. Take care and stay healthy.